0: welcome to sunny in seattle with your host sunny joy and coming up on today's show sunny welcomes robert moss the creator of active dreaming an original synthesis of modern psychology and shamanism and the two of them will be chatting about his latest book growing big dreams so tune in as they discuss keys to harness the deeper power of the imagination for creativity healing and personal growth. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy.
1: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m., Uh, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you are always welcome to access the show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Um, And you can find out more about me through my website. That can be found at GoldenOverSoul.com. That is GoldenOverSoul.com. Benny, how are you doing up in Seattle? I know I missed you last week.
0: Uh, It's okay. (laughs) I was just busy dreaming, you know. (laughs) I did miss you too. You know, things happen for reasons and, uh, you know, you're always welcome back. Just want to say that. I
1: know. And I I have to say, because we, just for anybody out there listening, (laughs) since we did an unplanned rebroadcast last week, because um, we actually came up to Seattle for a very quick trip. Um, My partner Chase's parents moved after being in his childhood home for 30 plus years. Um, They moved to a new place. And so we were helping a little bit with that, getting to say goodbye to the childhood home, welcome the new place. And I was up for two days writing a statement of purpose. For my divinity school application. And knowing that I was gonna do, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna come home to the home station, see Benny, um, and just do a solo show, like a soul digger edition, like I do from time to time. And I just had no gas left in the tank after that statement <laughs> of purpose and creating an outline, and I called or did whatever, Benny. And I, and I tried coach, everything
0: like, to get more gas in your tank, and that just didn't happen. <laughs> it
1: did not happen. And so yeah, six a.m. I'm like, Benny. I, I just, I, I do not have the reserves to pull from right now, and I know better than to try to force it. And so I cried, and I cried, <laughs> and I cried. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're
0: like, I bet you did. <laughs> Tears yeah, of joy.
1: <laughs> anyway, yeah. I say that just in case anybody else yeah. is out there, you know, I always like seeing when, uh, it gives me encouragement mm-hmm. when other people sometimes, um, I guess, are gentle with themselves instead of push, 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 and so I share that in case someone else if you don't have any gas left in the tank sometimes yeah. it is okay to take care of yourself <laughs> well that should be number one anyway right <laughs> yeah okay. exactly you are- i mean that is what we talk about here on the show let me uh, live what i give yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> speak the truth live the truth oh uh, anyway i'm sorry i missed you betty but everything's good uh, up there
0: uh yes absolutely 100 amazing and a big hug back to you it's all good
1: Awesome. Well, I'm really excited. Um, yeah. As Benny always has perfect segues, and uh, as we go into our show, he's just been busy dreaming, because our uh, guest today, I am so excited to talk to. Uh, it is Robert Moss, um, and many. I think he. I first heard of Robert when I was still living in Seattle and was collaborating pretty frequently with East West Bookshop, either to teach classes or to interview some of the fabulous um speakers teachers presenters that come through the bookstore and the events that they would arrange um, and so I have known of Robert for many years now, and I cannot believe this is the first time we are speaking. Um, and after having read his latest book, Growing Big Dreams, Manifesting Your Heart's Desires Through Twelve Secrets of the Imagination. After reading this book, I'm like I already had in my queue several more of his books. Um, he has many. So let me just give you a little bit of bio information on him, and then we will talk to him because um, as we were speaking about before we came on the air this morning, um, Robert saying you know this book it really is a book for our times and we'll let him share a little bit more about why that is so robert moss has been a dream traveler since doctors pronounced him clinically dead in a hospital in hobart tasmania when he was three years old From his experiences in many worlds, he created his school of active dreaming, his original synthesis of modern dream work and ancient shamanic and mystical practices for journeying to realms beyond the physical. He leads popular workshops all over the world, including a three year training for teachers of active dreaming and online courses for the shift network which is actually located right here in Petaluma, where I live now. Um, He is a former lecturer in ancient history at the Australian National University. He is a New York Times bestselling novelist, poet, journalist, and independent scholar. His many books on dreaming, shamanism, and imagination include Conscious Dreaming, The Secret History of Dreaming, Dreaming the Soul Back Home, The Boy Who Died and Came Back, sidewalk oracles, and mysterious realities, a dream traveler's tales from the imaginal realm. He has lived in upstate New York since he received a message from a red-tailed hawk under an old white oak. Uh, You can find out more about him at mossdreams.com. That's M-O-S-S, dreams.com. Robert, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Wonderful to join you on your sunny
2: airwaves, and thank you for that lovely introduction.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you, although I have to say, as I mentioned in the intro, this Growing Big Dreams is the first book of yours that I have read. And so I imagine the story of your background um, is contained in The Boy Who Died and Came Back, one of the other books or many of the other books, many of your background or many of your books will have the background. But if there are folks out there like me who don't know much about your background, um, what what synopsis should you give us, or can you give us that will well, um, give us the I'll proper tell you, I'll tell you a proper lead tell
2: to a conversation today? I'll, I'll tell you, thank you. I'll tell you a story from midlife. I will go back to my boyhood. That's an interesting story. I'll tell you a story from midlife half my lifetime ago, late 1980s. So I was fed up with the fast track commercial life I'd been living. I mean, it looked like a dream to other people, but I was thought somewhat hollow, you know. So I was looking at some land in upstate New York and thinking maybe I should put down some roots. And I'm looking at the white-tailed deer in the woods. I'm looking at the red fox at the corner of the cornfield. And I sit down under an old white oak tree behind a somewhat dilapidated farmhouse feeling, you know, I need to be with this land for a while. I feel welcome here, but I feel there needs to be a sign. And a red-tailed hawk, the sunlight glinting off her silver belly feathers, squalls at me, circling low and low and drops a feather between my legs. It wasn't the only reason I bought the farm, but it was one of them. It was a decisive moment. And then living on that land, I found myself dreaming of the ancestors of that area. I found myself dreaming of a colorful Irishman who was a very powerful man on the New York frontier when, the, when it was the Wild East, not the Wild West. This is where the Native Americans could have won and nearly did. And I also dreamed of Native people that he knew, Onkwe Hunwe, real people, Iroquois, Iroquois, particularly Mohawk Indian. And one night I'm drifting in that space between sleep and awake, and I find myself flying over landscapes, not exotic for me and maybe not exotic for some of our listeners. I'm drifting. I'm in a lucid dream. I'm flying over the, the rooftops. I'm flying north over, over, Lake Cham- over Lake Champlain, and I'm drawn into a cabin in the woods somewhere near Montreal, but there's no sign of modern Montreal, or of highways, any of that. And I'm with an astonishing woman. She's an indigenous woman. She's an elderly, beautiful woman who speaks to me in cadence language like lake water lapping. And I cannot understand a word she's saying. She's stroking a beaded belt, a wampum belt, I learned to call it, showing a she-wolf and two humans. Well, I started writing down what was going on in these encounters. They were numinous. They give you shivers, and it's very important. And then through synchronicity, I met my first friend from the the language group, the Iroquoian language group to which she belonged, and we started working on these words. We didn't have Google. We didn't even have a printed dictionary of any of these languages back then. And I discovered that I could interpret little by little by learning her language what she was trying to say. And the key thing she was trying to tell me was this. Dreams show us the secret wishes of the soul. She had a word for that in her language, She, The secret wishes of the soul, especially as revealed in dreams, And the job of decent people in a decent society is to gather around the dreamer and listen to the dream and help the dreamer to identify what the soul wants, what your deeper purpose is, what your deeper desire is, as opposed to the clutter and calculations of the ego, and then to take action to honor the secret wishes of the soul. I learned something else from her, too. I learned something I'd known really off and on since childhood. Dreaming is also about survival. She lived in a time 250 years ago. That's when she lived. She was mother of the wolf clan of her people, the Mohawk people. She lived in a time when her people were on the edge of survival, and you needed resources beyond the obvious to get you through, to stay alive. This was not some new-age discretionary entertainment over some odd weekend. Dreaming, in the real sense of the word, the shamanic sense of the word, scouting out the future, calling in the spirits, connecting the spirits of nature, talking to the departed and helping them on their road. This was of the essence of survival. This is part of your toolkit. So things in me that I'd known since childhood and maybe known from connections with other lives were, were really brought vividly alive, and eventually this became so important to me that I dropped the other things I'd been doing, and I followed a path for which there is no career track in our society up to the present moment, the path of a dream teacher. I'm trying to help rebirth the, a dreaming society in our world and our time because we need it now. So that was the turning point in my life. And it wasn't all magically resolved overnight. It took years of adaptation. It took a process similar to what Jung called his confrontation with the unconscious to bring all of this through and get myself really securely on the new road. It was not obvious. Work was required.
1: Yes. And this brings up a point that that I wanted to ask about. Um, when you were making your transition, um, you were previously a very successful um, uh, author of thrillers, um, fiction thrillers, correct? Right. Yes. And and so you, when you're talking about that that dreams show us the secret wishes of our soul, not the small self, not the human, but our soul. And you had an interesting dream about a a chef. Uh, who told you yeah. that the menu was it? Uh, I'm remembering, and I can't remember if this was in the book or uh, another material. But there was there was a distinction. The work that you were doing, while wildly successful, was not the true work of your soul. And I'm curious oh, that, how that.
2: That was you know. a turning point. Dream. May I tell the story?
1: Oh, please! I would love to. I'd love to hear it.
2: I'm a storyteller. I mean, that's what I do. I teach by stories. I help other people tell their stories much better. And then change things in the world, so this was a turning point dream. So yes, i have been on The New York Times bestsellers. I made number two, I made number six. So I mean, so you know, I'm not somebody who was a calls himself a best selling author because he had something on an Amazon subsidiary list. I was big time. I could get on any t v show any anytime I liked, and I was bored and I was dissatisfied. So you know these big changes are taking place in my life. My father's died, I'm dreaming of him that's making a deep impact on me as well. I'm connecting with the land. I'm connecting with the fox and the deer and the red-tailed hawk. Uh, You know, But uh, what do you do if you're a rather successful white guy who's used to making a lot of money? Well, you make some more money before you give yourself to the path of soul, right? So I'm trying to force myself to write another thriller with a Russian theme. I've written a very popular thriller with a Russian theme. And I've got a big contract. I've got lots of money for it. And I can't write the book. My heart is not in it. So I ask for a dream. I ask for dreams of guidance on anything and everything. I ask for dreams. And in my dream, I've arrived at a really fabulous restaurant. It's set up for a banquet, maybe 100, 200 people. And it's super luxurious. I mean, it's not just silverware. It's like gold, gold, full forks and knives and finest porcelain. And it's all about me, and I'm puffed up. But the maitre d' is shaking with fear. He's trembling. I say, what's the matter with you? He says, Mr. Moss, Mr. Moss, there's a problem in the kitchen. What is the problem? I boom at him. The master chef does not like your menu if you insist on cooking more stroganoff, a Russian dish. He says he's leaving. He's walking out. So I understand waking up, and I laugh ruefully at myself. I've just been shown in a mirror where my creative self is, where my soul is in relation to my project. My creative self, my creative chef, does not want to churn out another Russian thriller. might have been good entertainment a few years ago, but my heart is not in it now. If I insist on pursuing a commercial agenda, I'll have to work with a short-order cook hired out in the street. So I tore up a contract because of that dream. I tore up a contract because of that dream. And the later dream showed me the right path to publication for the new kinds of books. Funnily enough, one, in view of your conversation with Benny, one of the turning point books in sorting out my publishing life was one in which I desperately needed gas for my car. And I got it in the dream. And the way that I got it guided my, my new path to publication of the dream book.
1: Oh gosh, I just love that story because it, it just, well, I then it begs the question though, you have such a rich dream life. I mean, clearly from the experiences you had, the near-death experiences as a child, you were declared clinically dead, um, that you have had a rich dream life your whole life. Can everybody achieve the level of connection to and working with their dreams that you have? What
2: is- one of the great things about dreaming. We all have access to the material. Even the person who says, I don't dream, and then concedes that she's just saying, I don't remember my dreams, can have access. I mean, you you might be going through a dream drought. Many people in our society have been going through a dream drought because we haven't made it socially rewarding to share dreams. We haven't known how to talk about them. When we remember something, we might have a bad dream. It leaves a bad feeling. We'd rather not think about that, so we run away. And generally, our schedules and so on, our social rituals, have not accommodated time to record, uh, celebrate, and act upon dream guidance. But everybody has access to some extent. Nonetheless, Sonny, having said that, becoming an active dreamer, a really advanced dreamer, is a discipline. I mean, anyone can fall down a mountain, but not everybody's going to be an Olympic skier. It requires practice, (laughs) practice, practice, practice. However, it's fun practice. And you've got plenty of time for it because you can do it while lying in bed, asleep or almost asleep. And if you walk around this world with your eyes open and all your senses engaged, you'll find that the world around you is a dream as well, giving you signs and signals and symbols and synchronicity, which is something that I study and follow very closely every day of my life. So you have, you know, you have access. You've got some material. So why not learn how to do more of that material and you might just start find that it's fun and it's energizing. I mean, this morning, for example, I woke from a dream which I just had to draw. I draw my dreams whenever I can. I make drawings from my dreams. Very simply, I'm in a dream in which I'm in a city of cats. It's a city of cats. They've got this incredible palatial complex that's all cats. And on the ground floor, the lions are the gatekeepers and the guardians. I'm checking from time to time that the lions are on the prowl, on the alert, checking things out. But my main focus is on something very interesting that's happening, There's an open casket, an open coffin. And in the open coffin is a lion man, a human with a lion head who's coming alive again. And I wake from the dream exultant, excited. I don't do any work on what the dream means. I don't try to interpret it. I have big connections with lions, and I like traditions that have lion-figured deities like Egypt, etc. But, you know, I wanted to draw the dream, and I just wanted to indulge in the sense that greater powers are in play, greater games are in play, and I want people to understand and remember these very simple things about dreaming that apply to everyone. Dreaming, and very, very timely right now. Dreaming, you can travel without leaving home. You can have adventures. You can go on destination travel. You can go to the restaurant you can't get to in ordinary life. Dreaming, you can also be as social as you please. So if you're missing your larger family at Thanksgiving, why not consider getting together in the dream space, or at least putting yourself with them, and see whether they dream of you and you dream of them. Because this is the way that I dream every night. I get out and about. I have adventures. I receive visitations from people I am prepared to invite into my space. And some of these adventures are in a reality similar to this one, sometimes a parallel reality where we don't have COVID, we don't have madmen ruling countries, sometimes uh, an alternate universe further away. But it's fun. It's a tremendous adventure. You know, it's the best entertainment available to you. Everybody's watching, streaming Netflix, including me. But you've got your personal dream cinema. And in that dream cinema, you can not only enjoy the entertainment as a spectator, you can step onto the stage, through the screen, become star, director, scriptwriter of your own movie. I mean, this is great stuff.
1: Yes, and then you also brought up something that I really wasn't familiar with, um, the idea that, you know, let's say that you have somewhere in a dream that you want to revisit, something that was unfinished or something you'd like more information on. You can actually go back into a previous dream? Absolutely.
2: You know, that's just a vignette from my life. I first introduced this dream reentry technique. That's what I call it. You've been in a dream. You've been somewhere in your dream. You can go there again, just as, Sunny, you're in Petaluma, you leave Petaluma, you might be able to find your way back. You live there. You're, you're, we're speaking from there right now. You could find your way to a place you know. It's like that with dreams. In dreams, you're usually in a place, in a building, on a beach, in a wood, in a ladder, somewhere or other. And you've been there so you can go again. How do you do that? Well, you might do it in bed if you've got a strong image. You've got some energy around the scene and you'd like to explore it further. Maybe the energy is fear. Maybe something scares you inside that scene and it's time to brave up and face it and deal with it on its own ground. Maybe there's the allure of love and romance and adventure and you'd like more. You're on that tropical island. You'd like to stay in those waters. You'd like to kiss your dream lover. You'd like to go back to that restaurant in Paris and have some more of that dessert. So if you've got an image or, and you've got some energy around it, you can learn to go back into your dream. So anyway, the moment in my life when I became an international figure with all of this was back in 1994 at an international conference of dream, dream researchers. At the University of Leiden in the Netherlands. Now, I've got 300 people in a workshop, mostly left brain type clinical psychiatrists, academics, university professors, etc. But they like dreams. And I say to them, okay, partner up. Each of you is going to find a partner. You're going to take turns to tell each other a dream. You're going to say to each other, here's what I'd like to know about this. Here's what I will try to do if I manage to re enter the dream. And I'm going to drum for you. I use shamanic drumming in my workshop. I'm going to do shamanic drumming, and you'll take turns to go back inside your own dream with your friend coming with you, accompanying you as a friend, fellow traveler, bodyguard, tracker for the exercise, and you'll come back and you'll share your report. Not only did most of them succeed in reentering their own dreams, going into a further scene, a further chapter, opening the locked door, facing up to the terror, talking to someone inside the dream, but the partners, the trackers, were successful, too. So when I walked out into the courtyard of the university, two Freudians from the Sigmund Freud Institute in Frankfurt are running after me, Shaman, Shaman, stop, stop. What do you want? <laughs> How did you do that? What? He was inside my dream. I was in my dream. He was there with me. He saw things I had not told him, which I could verify. How did you do that? Did you hypnotize? But no. I gave you clear instructions so that you would orient your intention in a certain way I gave you fuel. I gave you gas for the journey. The gas for the journey was the drumming. enabled you to screen out distractions, so you got it done. So, Sonny, though this might sound completely exotic to people who haven't done anything like this, it's actually not that difficult to get people accustomed to. The shamanic drumming alone, 80% of people, 80% of people with no previous exposure, if if given good direction, good instructions, good intentions, clear instructions, can learn to shift consciousness quite easily with the shamanic drumming. So that alone is a powerful assist. Of course, you open a book, you don't get shamanic drumming, but you get, you know what, you can get my recordings of shamanic drumming, or you can do my online courses where we do shamanic drumming for the journeys all the time.
1: Yes, and you just mentioned, you know, uh, I forget how it came up, but how this dream work or the active dreaming that you teach is different than hypnotic regression.
2: Oh, it's completely different. I mean, hypnotic regression essentially you are under someone else's guidance and control. You may or may not bring back clear personal recollections of what you did or said until someone reminds you of it afterwards. I mean, you could say that there's a, there's an element of auto-suggestion here, but you're going to be in control. You're going to be the conscious chooser. You're going to be the decision-maker at every point in these processes. You don't check out. You become hyper-aware, hyper-conscious. You don't you know, you don't you don't go through a lessening of consciousness and you're not under enthralled to someone else's suggestions and commands. When I guide a journey and I guide people to rich places for healing and guidance and adventure in non-ordinary reality, I always do it in a way that the portals and the architecture I suggest turns them loose to exercise their own imagination and have their own adventures. So I not only help people with the dreams that they remember and the dreams they come up with, I help people to enter, let us say, a shared dream space in what I call the imaginal realm, which is a realm of true imagination, where there are schools, universities, pleasure palaces, places of healing and guidance, where you can learn to go with others or by yourself and accomplish extraordinary things and meet master teachers in different realms and, and undergo direct healing. Now, to get you there, I might paint a picture for you. Okay, I invite you to step into this picture. Here's your special tree or tree of vision. You can go down to the roots and meet the animal spirits or meet a realm of the ancestors of the earth mother. And go up in the high branches and look out like a bird and see across space and time. You can go up from the tippy-top of the tree and meet a wise teacher in a higher realm. That would be a very, very simple portal image, really Shamanism 101. Uh, I might invite you to go to a magic library, maybe based partly on your memories of a place like a library or gallery or museum where you're excited. Go there. and Find that it opens it out into something better and bigger and with extra levels and dimensions. Meet a master teacher, get information on any subject that interests you, bring it back, and apply it. I call it all active dreaming, which is my name for my synthesis of shamanism and dream work. Because every process we do, every game we play, is is designed not to end in some dry, sterile verbal analysis, but to lead to creative and healing action, to bring more energy, more guidance from a deeper reality into the body in this world. And that's what we accomplish. And you know what? people are hungry for this kind of thing. they may not know may not know what it is. they may, may never have heard anything about it. but when they begin to get a glimmer of what's available, you
1: know they are they are avid they're avid
2: to learn more. So we need this right now.
1: Yeah, I in reading Growing Big Dreams, which of course I'm talking to Robert Moss here today and his latest book is Growing Big Dreams. I got really excited, I was inspired, the exercises were fun, and I thought, you know, particularly as you say, where we are right now in the midst of this pandemic and a very unusual year compared to many previous years, um, that dreaming is very important. Um, Do you mind speaking a little bit to what you've noticed in terms of dreaming in the pandemic? You know, have people's dreams changed? What kind of trends or common themes are you noticing?
2: Well, uh, there's a difference between what I noticed and what some of the material that's playing in the mainstream media to the extent that they're willing to cover this. Uh, not because mm-hmm. the mainstream media is fake. The mainstream media is actually taking more intelligent and serious interest in dreams it's done for a long time. But what you see based on general surveys or the typical surveys of students or undergraduates or something or other is a lot of anxiety dreams, a lot of fearful dreams, a lot of dreams that might remind you, okay, don't go into a restaurant without a mask. Of course, those are useful dreams. Those are survival dreams. But I notice, and, and I, I can read 400 new dream reports every day easily, because I lead all these mm-hmm. online courses. I've got this community of dreamers, including 300 teachers of active dreaming, trained and certified by me. And they're sharing in our, in, in, in our private groups, in social media, and they're emailing me and they're sending things. So I see a lot of dreams. And I would say that, first of all, um, whichever group you're talking about, let's say the general dreaming sometimes dreaming populists or the more dedicated, passionate dreamers who are the ones I tend to hear from. In both those groups, uh, people are dreaming more, by and large. People are breaking dream ground. People are more willing to talk about dreams and share dreams than they were before. You could say that's because they've got more time. You could also say it's because people understand on some level that we need tools and resources beyond the obvious to deal with an exceptional, extraordinary, extraordinarily dangerous situation where conventional means have failed conventional means of reading the future have failed us, conventional means of keeping some kind of moral compass, some kind of moral direction and imperative in our public affairs have completely collapsed. And one of the reasons for this, I'm going to come back to the question, I'm not really leaving, leaving, leaving it, is that, is that what shamans call soul loss has become such a factor in our public life as well as our personal life. Soul loss is what happens in shamanic understanding. When you suffer pain, you suffer trauma, you suffer bullying, you suffer abuse, you face a wrenching life, life decision, and part of you goes away because it doesn't want to be around, and now there's a hole in you. And sometimes what happens if you're becoming a hollow person is the things that don't belong to you come in, and you can't know what to do anymore, and other people tell you what to do, or something that's not part of your identity is trying to tell you what to do, and you fall into confusion. This has been the state of our public affairs, as well as many people's personal difficult situations. The antidote is a certain kind of dreaming that puts you back in touch with soul, with those secret wishes of the soul and all the rest of it. Back to the question, how are people dreaming differently? One of the areas that people are dreaming about a great deal now is death, dying, the afterlife, the deceased, and all of that. Now, of course, when it's a horrible situation, a quarter of a million people have died in the United States and probably will be up to 400,000 by New Year's. So death is all around us. People are leaving without the rituals of farewell, without the family environment that they need. So we are dreaming, first of all, to prepare us for death, our own or that of other people around us. We are dreaming to understand that we can have communication and we can be helpful and mutually supportive to each other across the apparent barrier of death. Because I noticed that amongst all the dreams of death and dying that I see, there is a large category, a large number, that are actually tremendously positive, not funereal at all, People are seeing their departed, those who died this year or died in previous years, fine, happy, healthy, doing interesting things in an interesting new environment. Often their departed saying, come and look around. Let me play tour guide. Let me show you that life after death isn't bad because of look at, look at all that I can do. In fact, come and visit the family compound where I thought you might <laughs> like to spend some time. When your time comes up, look, I fixed up this cottage for you. You know, Aunt Millie's over there. This is, this is a dream report. I'm quoting an actual dream report. So, um, and it's never too early or too late, from my point of view, to think about death—not as a funereal, bring you down kind of subject—but in order to understand, through direct knowledge if possible, that you have life beyond this life, consciousness survives the death of the physical body, and if you understand that you have all sorts of options, lifestyle options, the, you know, new study and work opportunities, new social relationships waiting beyond, beyond this world. I don't think it brings you down. I think it brings you up. I think it enables you to cope with choices that that come up in life right now with a sense of humor, a sense of divine comedy. I find that. I find a lot of other people are finding it, too. I'm in the middle of leading a, a course for the Shift Network right now called Dream Journeys Beyond the Veil. It's about lifting the veil through our kind of dreaming in two ways, lifting the veil of ordinary perception to see into the deeper logic and the deeper reality, of life, and dreaming beyond the veil of death to understand that consciousness goes on. We can have happy and healthy and healing and forgiving connection with our departed. We help each other in all sorts of ways. We can develop a personal geography of the afterlife, and we can can connect with earth keepers, with ancient wise ones who are trying to look in on us in this world and help to get us straight and get us through. All of this becomes possible through what I call active dreaming, which of course goes far beyond a limited understanding that dreams are just passive experiences that happen during sleep.
1: Yes, um, that makes so much sense. And I want to just ask quickly, Robert, um, I know we noted in the pre-show notes that we sent to your publicist that we would be taking a break at 930 Pacific, but I'm loving our conversation so much. And I'm wondering if you're okay, if we just keep talking right through what would normally be our break.
2: I don't mind. I mean, I started out in radio, you know, I was a BBC commentator in London for several years. So I'm good at either stopping when you want me to stop or going on if you don't. I mean, just tell me what you want and you'll have it.
1: Well, I would be most appreciative if we could just keep talking because I'm enjoying the conversation. I just didn't know if you would want a break or not. Yeah, or
0: we might have to relabel the show as the Robert Moss and Sonny show, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: I'm just happy to have this You're, conversation. You are a guest, Benny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's another hour and a half of me in me. So, Oh, Oh, Biddy. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you. Wonderful. Then let's continue. Um, You mentioned a moment ago um, uh, something, soul loss, um, which is something that um, I'm I'm curious about. You mentioned why it can happen. um, And one of the ways that I saw in the book that is a wonderful way to connect with those lost pieces of ourselves is through our the great imagineer, our magical child. Um, do you mind speaking to that a little bit?
2: Oh, I think the principal reason why lots of people in our culture, lots of adults, have forgotten their dreams, don't have a connection with dreams of the night and don't really do much dreaming in any sense, is they have lost the beautiful, bright dreamer. In their self, in their psyche. I mean, this is an indigenous understanding, too. I remember talking to a faith keeper, an elder of uh, the Native American tradition I know best, the tradition of the Unkwe Hunwe, or the Iroquois, Iroquois, longhouse people of the Northeast. Uh, they they say traditionally that if you don't have a connection with dreams because you've lost a, a vital part of your soul, you've lost a part of you that is the dreamer. Maybe this is that beautiful teen girl or that child who was frightened or abused and went away and is living in a garden on the dark side of the moon. I mean, living in grandmas, house, hiding out in grandmas, house, not with you. So the trick is to connect people, to connect all of us to the energy and imagination and joy of the younger self. Now, how do you do that? You know, you can use a childhood memory. You can go back. I do this often with people. People say, I don't have any dreams. They say, I don't necessarily believe you. What's the last dream you remember? And I've had this again and again, Sonny. Oh, a last dream I remember is 30 years ago. Fine. 40 years ago. Fine. Can you tell me? And the dream might be a scary one, or it might be a neutral one, or it might be a magical one that was just left on one side. Okay, tell me that dream. Let's bring it alive. Let's see whether you can go back inside that dream or reach a certain point, and maybe you'll take an ally with you. Maybe a great mother bear is going to come, you, or the tiger, or some other animal that your child self loves and that maybe you can connect with charmanically also. Let's see if you can go back to your child self, let's see if you can talk to her in her own time. Can I do that? Yes, why not? Mental time trouble. Go back. Imagine you can go back to that young self who was frightened or abused and didn't have counseling or mentoring or protection. See if you can be the big sister, the cheerleader, the mentor counselor she needs in her own time and talk to her in that space. Talk her through the scary scene. Give her, give her some, some encouragement that she'll make it through. Can I do that? Why not? Why not try? And maybe in the process of connecting with her, you'll bring something back. You'll bring back something more of the dreamer. Something more of the great imagineer, the one who knows the magic of making things. It is amazing how this journey, we're talking about a journey now, a journey of consciousness. In a workshop, you do it probably with drumming or some other sonic effects to make it real for you. And you do it when you had acquired or reacquired some shamanic allies. Great mother bear is a great one for this kind of journey. And I have a strong connection with the bear because of dream dreams initially terrifying half a lifetime ago that I re-entered. So bear is always with me when I do this work, which means that bear is always with the people who work with me. So bear might come with you or another animal or another friend and the child and you love bear, the child and you love the tiger, the child and you love the dragon. Uh, you could take an ally. When you make that journey across time, that mental time-traveling journey, it's amazing what can be accomplished. Uh, I, I, I learned about this in my own life because I was a very lonely, sickly child. I had pneumonia in both lungs 12 times over eight years the ages of three and 11. Half my years were spent in the half-life of sick rooms. I kept dying and coming back. I'm coughing into my pillow at night, so my mother hopefully won't hear me. I'm an only child. She's terrified all the time. I'm going to die. So how did I get through? Well, dreams and imagination helped me, but one of the things that helped me is one of my invisible companions was a large man, pink face, lots of white hair, who'd come and sit down on the bed, and he'd say, "Rub it." You're going to make it through. You're going to survive. I can assure you, you're going to survive. Yes, you're lonely now, but you'll know the love of women. Women will love you. Yes, you find it hard to tell your dreams and your visions to people. But the day will come, I promise you, Robert, when the world will want to hear your dreams and visions. It really will. Mm. This was my older self, younger than I am now, maybe 20, 30 years younger than I am now, going back to that child, Robert, to play counselor, mentor, buck him up. Give him, give him the assurance he would make it through. I believe that this actually happened. Actually, my journals provide some evidence of this kind of thing. In any case, what do you think? What do you think about this kind of possibility? What have you got to lose by giving it a try? What have you got to lose by playing the game of thinking that as a dreamer, as someone who can change consciousness, you are a time traveler. You can go to the past. You can go to the future. You go into parallel times, parallel lives. You have fun by doing this, and maybe, maybe, maybe you will accomplish incredible healing. And succeed in recruiting, once again, your great Imagineer, who is the magical child in you, the magical child of you, who may not have been with you very much for some time because your life wasn't fun enough or it wasn't safe enough. So that's what it's about.
1: Yes. And do you mind sharing one of my favorite stories from the book was, um, I believe, uh, uh, Amy Ame, who hadn't had a dream in 30 years after a a frightening dream when she was a child. and. Uh, she came to one of your workshops where you sit around the table in the morning and everyone shares their dreams. and she was a little frustrated and you I, it just um, was such a beautiful story, the resolution of that. So would you like me to tell the story? I would I'm sorry, I don't know how much information to give to make sure you know what I'm talking about. But please no, I'd I know, what you're, to, I know what you're talking
2: about. It's actually one of my favorite stories. It's one okay. of uh, Of course, I, uh, I sometimes use a pseudonym to identify people. I think her name is not Aimée, but Aimée sounds French, and she was French, so I know what you're talking about. All right, so I'm leading, I'm, I, I, I lead, you know, pre- and post-pandemic, I lead lots and lots of live retreats, some of the residential retreats in wonderful places. One of the places I've taught for 10 years now is a restored 16th century stone village in southern France. Pretty nice, sir. So I'm I'm in the village, in the, stone, the restored stone village, and uh, we've got a group for a residential workshop, and we're going to, I think we're just doing three days for this one. And on the second morning, one lady in the group is extremely, extremely bad tempered. I say, what's the matter here? She says, well, all you people come down to breakfast, and you're sharing dreams, and I don't dream. And I look at her and say, well, I, I don't really believe you. She says, what do you mean you don't believe me? I haven't remembered a dream since I don't know when. I said, I'm not sure I do believe you because, I think you can remember a dream at some point in your life, so tell me the last dream you remember. And she shrugs and says, okay, well, I'm nine years old. It was 30 years ago, so we can figure out her age. And it's like this. She said, I am dreaming that uh, I'm in front of a curtain and a hand reaches out and offers me chocolate. And I love chocolate. But I've been taught, don't take candy from strangers, so I call maman, papa. They scream and they come, and what is it? Oh, it's a dream. Go back to sleep. It's just a dream. She's a good Catholic girl, she prays to Jesus and Mary and all the saints and all the angels. No more dreams, please. And I guess her request was heard because she has not remembered a dream she says for thirty years. So I say to her, you know, if this were my situation, I would try to re enter the dream. This is this technique I was talking about earlier, dream reentry. You go back through the doorway of an image, in this case a dream that you remember, that's got energy for you, and she starts trembling. She is frightened. Interestingly enough, I mean, this woman is practiced in all sorts of things, in yoga, in kung fu, in meditation, all sorts of things, but and in shamanic journeying. She knows how to journey with a drum, but doesn't work with spontaneous dreams or night dreams. But she knows what I'm talking about. She's frightened. She doesn't want to do it. She says, will you come with me? I say, all right. We we'll could form a small group. We're dividing small groups. We could center on you. You'll tell your dream. You'll set your intention for what you'll do if you are able to go back inside the dream, and we'll support you. We'll basically just watch, but We'll be we'll be friendly. We'll, we'll be your family. So here we are in the workshop space and I'm drumming, and she's going back inside her dream. She knows how to journey with the drum. This in itself is not exotic for her. And to some extent, we we're able to see what unfolds. She goes back inside the dream. She opens the curtain. Behind the curtain is a radiant being, angelic, mm-hmm. and she's already crying. My God! By hiding from the angel, good Catholic girls still I guess. And then suddenly the features resolve, and they become the features of a man she loved. He was her father's best friend, she told us later. He owned a toy shop in Paris. She got to play there after hours. How cool is that? It was a perfectly fine, lovely relationship, nothing bad about it. He's like a second father. And she says to him, she's inside the dream now. She's talking to him inside the dream, wide awake and conscious. While I'm drumming, she says to him, it was you, Uncle So-and-So. Why didn't you identify yourself? Why did you hide behind the curtain? And now the story deepens. It's it very rich indeed. Very it goes right to the heart. The man who offered her the chocolate says, Oh, Cherie, you've forgotten. I was killed in that automobile accident some days before the dream, and my face was mutilated, and I didn't yet know how to change it, so I would not terrify you, but I wanted to give you something sweet because we were such good friends. So I did the best I could. And there are tears and there are hugs. And she comes back and she's shining with sadness and joy and amazement that this was what was going on when she asked no more dreams. Then it's a residential workshop. We go through the workshop. We have dinner. We sit by the fire. And in the morning, she is the first person at the breakfast table. And this time she's angry because we have been too slow by her way of thinking in coming down to breakfast because she has dreams. She tells us eight full dream reports, one after another, moving like a high-speed train, rum, rum, rum. The woman with no dreams for 30 years now tells us eight dreams. And as she tells us the dream, there's a sense of something sparkling in the air, like 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 fireflies, uh, like 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 lightning bugs. Uh, uh, and this is returning soul. And as she speaks, we see. The years of cynicism, the disappointment falling away, and we see that that beautiful nine-year-old dreamer is back in her body with her. And there's a post, there's, a, there's, a, post, there's, a, there's a, a sequel to this, which I don't think I included in the book. It's almost too good. I said to her, I don't play psychic reader, but I said to her, this, this man was your father's best friend, yes. Yes, she said. I wouldn't be surprised if he turned up, if your father turned up in your life, wanted you to talk about dreams or something like that. She said, oh, my father... He's so uptight, he'd never talk about dreams. He's never actually hugged me. He's never even called me on the phone in his life. Well, the next day before we leave the workshop, she gets a phone call from her father. First phone call she says she's ever received. And he says, I have to talk to you about a dream. (laughs) So so it ripples out. It becomes a whole family healing. So this is the kind of thing that is possible. And one of the things happening along the way here, Sonny, which you've probably noticed is, in the course of all this, it becomes wonderful, wild fun. You just, you just have to do it. And if you learn to talk to other people the right way about it, you're, you're so happy because you're sharing your stories and becoming a storyteller and communicator. But the other thing that goes on is that soul is growing. Soul is being healed, and you are becoming the shaman of your own soul and the mm-hmm. healer of your own life. And to the extent that you're prepared to reach out to others with this kind of thing, you're helping them claim their own power and become the story maker of their own life and the shaman mm-hmm. of their own soul as well.
1: God, that is so inspiring, so uh, just exciting. I, this is this is what I'm talking about when I'm reading the book and I'm thinking, wow, the possibilities here are just—they're endless. They are infinite, as infinite as the dream world is, or perhaps that is the real world. Um, and one of the things that gave me great hope also when I was reading it, and for because I hear a lot in my practice, you know, people are really searching for their purpose and what are they here to do. And one of the one of the twelve secrets of the imagination that you talk about in the book is that your big story is hunting you. I love that concept. Do you mind sharing a bit about that?
2: Well, this is something that Australian aborigines in my native country say, I don't remember when I first heard it, maybe in boyhood. I had an aboriginal friend when I was quite young. Uh, Aborigines say the big stories are hunting the right people to tell them. You know, like predators in the bush sniffing and stalking, like a shark in the water circling, maybe looking for you. We could broaden it. Writers love that version, although it also terrifies. I'm being stalked by my big story.
0: <laughs>
2: if, 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 I, if I don't, what happens if I get caught? Maybe it'll be terrifying. Or maybe, or maybe if the big story has that independent life and I won't take it on, it'll go and jump on someone else and they'll get my story. Actually, Elizabeth Gilbert gave a very good example of that. In, uh, in her big magic book about how the story, if you won't carry it and you're a writer, will go to someone else. So the idea is there, a very indigenous idea. But the story has its own life. It has its own life. And um, yeah, maybe the big story wants to be lived in you. So the trick is not really to go hunting your big story, but to put yourself in a place where you can be found. That What does that mean? That means a place that is on the edge of the tame land the edge of the safe land, on the border land, on the edge of the wild land. You just stay inside your picket fences, inside your regular walls, inside your boxes. You might miss out on your bigger story. So you put yourself where your bigger story can find you. And the easiest way to do that is to open to your dreams and open to the dreamlike states, particularly what becomes available in the hypnagogic state between sleep and awake, which I recommend everyone wants to spend more time in. And what happens through synchronicity on the roads of everyday life? Whenever I go out of the house, and I don't go as far as I used to in this pandemic era, but whenever I go out of the house, I'm alert to the signs and symbols that the world is giving me. And I'm all of my senses open, and I'm willing to receive whatever enters my field of perception in the world around me as elements of the dream and make a story out of it. That's another way of doing it. And through all of this, you'll discover, perhaps, the nature of your bigger story. For example, I was once on a plane trip to uh, to Boulder via a plane, plane trip to Denver on, on route to Boulder. I was going to give a talk at the wonderful independent Boulder bookstore about my my first book of poetry, Here Everything is Dreaming. And I've got a woman on the plane with me who, who says that she is Helen of Troy, which is very funny. She's talking about the city of Troy, New York. The funny thing is she, like me, is Australian with a rather Anglo-Australian accent. I lived in Troy, New York for 10 years. She's living in Troy now. We're both interested in the classics. So we're talking about the Trojan War, that Troy, Troy, New York. And One by one by one, all these sort of classical allusions come up, and I'm carrying in my bag a copy of the Odyssey and a copy of the Argonautica story of Jason the Golden Fleece, because I've been dreaming of the Greek epics, and arrive at the bookstore, and there's a woman uh, at at the desk whose name is Athena. And I say, okay, Athena, where is Odysseus? Because Odysseus (laughs) is the protege of Athena. She's on the blower, paging Odysseus. Odysseus, come to the desk, please. Odysseus works for the store. So suddenly I've got Odysseus in front of me. And it goes on, one thing after another. So it couldn't be missed. You, you felt a snicker behind the curtain of the world. How many more shall we give him? I was being told about my connection in that trip with the story of Odysseus. I mean, that, this was not exotic for me. I've always identified the story of Odysseus. The Odyssey, Odyssey used to be my favorite book, the story of the wounded warrior who requires all those years to get home because he's getting shipwrecked by his own misunderstanding, eventually healed in the realm of women, and still finds it hard to come home. That is a story for me personally that was central to my life for a long time. More recently, my big story, I think, is that of Scheherazade from the Arabian Nights, who has to come up with a fresh story every night, or else she'll be killed in the morning. I think this is where I've been for some time now. I actually write a rather humorous version of that in another of my books, Mysterious Realities. But you can see just from my sort of jumping around in a somewhat humorous fashion with my own experiences of what it is to identify consciously with a myth, uh, something from folklore, with your, what Jungians call the archetype, it brings a sense of drama into life, of being connected with a bigger drama, a bigger story. And you know what? From that you can bring courage and humor to get you through the ups and downs of everyday existence. I want excitement. I want passion. You know, it's not going to be unvaried in the course of a day. But you and Betty were talking about lack of gas. You know what? You get onto this. You get into this stuff. You start sharing this stuff. You start talking about this stuff. You won't talk about not having enough gas because you'll have all the juice and joy that you need and the people around you will be pumping you up with it. And this stuff is just, you know, so exciting and arousing.
1: Yeah, you could just feel it. I mean, I I just I love hearing you talk. I've obviously enjoyed the writing. And yeah, you re- live such a rich life of uh, full of adventure and, and infinite possibilities. It's very, um, yeah, again, very inspiring. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm hooked. <laughs> so um, I, I wanted to actually switch gears while I have the opportunity to talk to someone like you. And I didn't see this mentioned in the book. I apologize if it was in there, but I, I don't remember seeing anything about it. But we're, as a culture, I think we're on a a lot of medication, whether it's prescription or recreational substances. And I'm just curious, in your experience, do any of these things that are available to us affect our ability to dream or the quality of our dreams? Like, are there things that you avoid because you know it affects your dream life?
2: Well, I drink alcohol, but I don't do it in order to dream. I do it because I enjoy it (laughs) and it relaxes me. Uh, I've never done any kind of hallucinogenics. I've never even done marijuana. I know I sound like and now, but I've never even done marijuana. Marijuana, by the way, I have no, have no judgment. If you want marijuana, as part of your lifestyle. To relax, you fine. I don't mind. However, uh, marijuana seriously suppresses not only dream recall, but the dream function itself. I've talked to cultivators and specialists as well as the, the consumers. Marijuana seriously intercede in Dream function, uh, What the mm. performance of the dreaming brain as well as dream recall. So if you want more dreams, you're probably going to have to you know, dial back on that one. There are many antidepressants that notoriously dream function and dream recall, but you don't go off your antidepressants if your doctor told you you need them, you think you need them, without great care. One of the physicians who trained with me, we actually have doctors who do my training, teach of active dreaming, one of the physicians who who trained with me would say to his patients who are on antidepressants, next time you come you're going to bring me two dreams and we'll see how you do. So he's encouraging them to enhance their dream recall, even though, though they're on the medication which is interfering with it. And as their dream recall succeeds, because they're trying that, he told me he was able to decrease the, the, the quantity of the medication that he was giving them each time. So there was a direct correlation between improving and increasing dream recall and, 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 and encouraging dream function and the ability to get off the medication. But you don't take rash decisions about these things without consulting all the people involved in the choices that you're making, including the physicians, of course. There was a physician. Who was a dreamer. He also had on his wall, by the way, a sign that said, My patient is my colleague. So that kind of doctor mm-hmm. kind of just lays it down, but kinda of wants to involve you consciously in your own healing. On the other hand, there are things that are said to enhance lucid dreaming, enhance dream recall. Lots of people swear by something simple like mugwort, whether you put it in a nostalgia under your pillow or take it in your teeth. I see no harm in that. There are other things. People have mixed have mixed experiences. I'm not the person to talk about this because I'm a dreamer from way back. It's what I've done all my life. There's never been in difficult difficulties for me in leaving the body and brain and entering a larger world. The difficulty sometimes has been to stay tethered to the body on this good earth and, and stay around. So, so yeah. we, 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 we come from every point across the spectrum. So for some of us, the real challenge is to stay grounded and in this reality and make it all work in a practical way. And I've learned to do that because of all these courses I lead where people need to be able to take something home and apply it, something that will help them to pay the rent, something that will help them stay in the relationship or get out of it in the right way, something that will give them some juice and joy and sense of meaning to get them through life. So I'm very conscious on the need to give people practical takeaways and resources.
1: Yeah, and I can say from having read the book that this is incredibly practical. I'm, I'm, you know, have the pleasure of reading a lot of really incredible books with a lot of great tips. But this is the most excited I've been about applying things in my life in a long, long time. Um, so I just I know we're approaching the end of our time together, Robert. Um, I want to make sure our audience knows um, I have been talking today to Robert Moss. His latest book, Growing Big Dreams, is available now. Um, his website is moss dreams.com that's mossdreams.com. and i just have to ask you know one final question i think maybe we have time for just one more um i'm curious you know what is your greatest hope for both individuals and the collective as a dream teacher in the work that you do now well i hope that we
2: will find and serve the secret wishes of the soul i hope we will return to a sense of priorities and a sense of values that is grounded in a deeper source of wisdom than the everyday mind. I hope that in doing this, we will restore our inner compass, our moral compass for ourselves as individuals, and in the leadership of our world. We've fallen into very dark times, comparable to what happened to Europe in the mid-20th century. To survive this, we must one by one, group by group, community by community, bring back the tools for soul and survival that the ancient dreaming gives us. So my hope is that we are on our way now to becoming a dreaming society again. One in which dreams are valued in two senses, dreams of the night and dreams of life. We support each other in manifesting our best and biggest dreams.
1: Mm, beautiful. Yes. Yeah, so just uh, one more time before we part ways today, um, this has been an interview with Robert Moss. Um, the book is Growing Big Dreams, Manifesting Your Heart's Desires Through 12 Secrets of the Imagination. The website is mossdreams.com. Uh, Robert, thank you so much. This has been such a joy and a pleasure, and I really, um, <laughs> I look forward to taking one or more of your workshops in the future. So thank you for being here today.
2: Well, your dream host, um, Sunny, and to you and to our listeners, may you grow big dreams and may they manifest in the world.
1: Uh, Thank you. And may that be the wish for all of our listeners as well. And I think the listeners will also get to hear you as you go on to the Manson Mitchell show following Sunny in Seattle. So (laughs) have have a great interview. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Benny, for running the board. Uh, We'll see you next week. Bye.